Welcome and greetings, Rock Church. My name is Jason Mayer, one of your pastors here. And wherever you're tuning in right now, if you're in your living room, your bedroom, you're driving in your car at work, we just want to say thank you for inviting us in uh, to spend some time together. It's uh, such a privilege to be with you. Uh, and we've seen since this time of gathering online exclusively, thousands of you join this ministry. Uh, again, I want to say welcome, those of you that are new with us here at the Rock Church. Uh, it occurred to me, though, that many of you probably don't know the history of this ministry. In fact, earlier this year, right before the shutdown, right before uh, mid-March, when everything sort of came to a screeching halt, we celebrated 20 years of ministry in February this year. 20 years of ministry. It's incredible what God has done. And we, of course, looked back and saw all God's faithfulness, all the activities of the ministry. And over 20 years of, of ministry, we actually saw 150,000 decisions for Christ, salvations through this ministry. So would you join me in just thanking the Lord? That's incredible what has happened in and through uh, this ministry, 150,000. That averages out to 7,500 a year. And I think about what does that mean moving forward for us? Of course, we're going to continue uh, in the ministry activities. That 150000 comes from our Sunday gatherings. It comes from our outreach ministries. It comes from one-on-one uh, -on -one evangelism. And we're going to continue to do those things. I wonder if we increase that activity. Maybe we go to 10,000 uh, salvations a year. Over the next uh, 20 years, that's 200,000 souls into the kingdom of God, which is just incredible. You add those two together, 150,000, 200,000, that's 350,000 people in a 40-year uh, ministry, which is incredible. And then you stop for a moment, though, and think that's actually only 10% of the population here in San Diego County. As incredible as the activity of the ministry is and how fruitful God and how faithful God has been in and through this, there's so much more potential out there. So I want to imagine another scenario. This is a quick little math illustration. Those of you that aren't into math, just bear with me. It'll be quick. But say you take 10 people. Imagine yourself, nine people. Maybe you're in a room right now with nine other people. And you commit to making 10 disciples, one disciple each in a year's period. So 10 people make disciples. So in, after one year, that's 20 people. And then that happens again. And you commit to discipling and commit to doubling that number. And you can start to see on the screen behind me, that number starts to grow pretty significantly. In fact, after 10 years, that's 10,000 people who have been discipled in a relationship over those years. You keep that going after 15 years, 18, 19 years, you're looking at 5 million people. Now we're talking about San Diego County in 19 short years. Fast forward a little bit longer, 22 years, that's 41 million people. You get to 25 years, that's uh, 335 million people. That's the United States of America being discipled for Christ. That number keeps doubling. If people keep making just one disciple a year, that number keeps doubling. And eventually, you get to 10 billion people. That's more than the people on this planet, which is currently 7 billion people. 30 years, that's all it would take. 30 years, we would see 10 billion people come to know the Lord. Now, why do, I, why do I share that with you? Well, it's because that's the power of multiplication. You see, we can add all we want, but in the, in the kingdom of God, the power of multiplication is a powerful, powerful tool. And so I want to talk today about what that means. What does it mean to make disciples that multiply? So would you join me as we pray? God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your scriptures, to hear from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be uh, present and near to every single person that's watching this or listening to this today. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that not only have you invited us in to relationship with you, but you've called us to something greater, that we would share the relationship we have with you with others so that they could experience the same thing. And so, Father, would you stir up a desire for discipleship within our hearts? May we be the followers you've asked us to be. We love you, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. You're, we're in the, the middle of this series called The Difference Maker. Uh, and if you've been with us uh, for the last few weeks, you know that there's three main activities of what it means to be a difference maker in the kingdom of God. The first is that are you leveraging your spiritual ministry gifts to expand the kingdom of God? Are you leveraging those spiritual gifts? God's called you into ministry. He's invited you to use your unique talents and gifts so that you can make a difference in the kingdom of God. The second thing is he's asking, are you leveraging and are you equipping, mentoring someone else to also expand the kingdom of God? Beyond just your own activity, are you reaching out? Are you pouring in? Are you investing in someone else so they too can expand the kingdom of God? And the third activity of a difference maker is are you multiplying? Are you sending out those that can then make a difference and expand the kingdom of God? That's what I want to focus in on today, that multiplication effect. What does it mean to make disciples that multiply? You know, before we get to that, though, we should probably take a moment and just make sure we understand we're talking in the same language of what exactly is a disciple? What exactly is discipleship? Well, that word disciple, it comes from the Greek matatheus, and that simply means learner. More than that, though, it means a disciplined learner. And so a lot of times we think about a disciple, we think, okay, there's, there's this learning component. But when you take a look at scripture, there's a much more holistic view of this idea of being a learner. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just mental assent that I know some things now. No, it's, it's much more than that. In fact, Jesus, he gives us a clue what this looks like in the gospel according to Luke. In chapter 6, verse 40, uh, he says this. He says, listen, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Notice what he said there be like his teacher, right? What he didn't say is he'll know what the teacher knows. He said, no, no, I want you to be like the teacher. And so in discipleship, at least biblical discipleship, it's not just knowing things that, that, that Jesus knows, but it's also becoming more like him. And so this idea of discipleship is, is passing on. It's, it's taking a disciplined and committed approach to a person, in this case, Jesus. It's learning from them, but then it's also becoming like them. There's this transformation that happens when we pursue discipleship with Jesus. So we learn, we become, and then finally we multiply. You see, there's no such thing in in discipleship according to the Bible that that doesn't embrace this idea of multiplication. And so we think about this and and so, okay, so if I'm going to learn, I'm going to become, and then I'm going to multiply. But there's there's been this idea, I think, especially here in the West, that when we think about discipleship, we think of this second stage of Christianity. Somehow we've gotten in our minds that you first become a Christian, you you pray a prayer, you surrender your life to Jesus. And then sometime down the road, once you get your act together, then you become a disciple, right? Then you can enter into this activity of learning more, becoming like Jesus, and then making more disciples. But that is so unbiblical. The Bible doesn't even say that. Sometimes we have to suspend what we think uh, and actually let scriptures speak to us. In fact, in Acts in chapter 11, it says that at Antioch, this place in in the ancient world, that that's where the disciples were first called Christians, right? Like, did you get that order? Like the disciples, that's what Jesus always called them. He never called them Christians. He said, you're my disciples. That's when they were first called Christians, which simply means little Christs, right? You're emulating Jesus. That's what it looks like. And so, it's interesting, you know, in, in our context, we often think, well, you first become a Christian and then sometime down the road, then you become a disciple. But according to scriptures, it says, no, you are first disciples, then you're called Christians. It's one and the same. Those words are synonymous. There's no distinction in scripture between being a Christian and being a disciple. In fact, later in, in Acts in chapter 14, it says that they preached the word and as a result, they made disciples. 
So the way that the scripture talks about it, this idea that when, when someone first becomes a follower of Jesus, that disciple is the right word to use. Christian disciple, they're one and the same. They're synonymous. It'd be kind of like saying, you know, I've got three kids, but I'm not a father. Well, no, those things are, those are things are the same thing, right? I'm a father because I have kids and I have kids. That makes me a father. Like that's one and the same. And so I, for some of you, maybe we could just stop right now and, and you're thinking, wait a minute, I've never thought of myself as a disciple. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm, I'm doing my best to follow him, but I never really considered myself a disciple who was then asked to go and make disciples. But that's exactly what Jesus thinks. And so maybe it'd be good for you to have a little conversation with him. Say, Jesus, can we talk about this a little bit? I didn't realize that I signed up to be a disciple who was going to make disciples. Now, just to give you a little hint how that conversation is going to go, he's probably not going to change his mind. He's pretty convinced that that's exactly what he's asking you to do. And so we, we have to get our minds wrapped around this idea of multiplication. Multiplication is ultimately God's idea. From the very beginning of scriptures, we see this idea of multiplication, right? In the beginning, he created humanity. Adam, Adam, right? That word Adam simply means human, right? And then Eve, right? A, a, a help, helper fit for him. It says that Eve, is her, that word means life. Human and life, right? God creates humanity and he, and he gives them this royal calling, this royal assignment. He says, listen, I want you to multiply. There's that word. Be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Genesis 1.28, he invites us into that relationship with him. He says, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. Now, this multiplication isn't just propagate the species, right? I mean, animals are really good at that. Bunnies especially, right? Rabbits are really good at, at, at multiplying. But there's, there's more tied into this command from God. He says, I want you to multiply, not just to make more humans, but I want you to rule with me, co-rule with me. I want you to take all of this incredible things I've given you on earth and I want you to subdue it. I want you to create this environment where my love will continue to grow and expand. That's the calling that God has on our life. He wants us to multiply. Of course, we chose right from the beginning that, God, we don't want to do things your way. We appreciate your, your version of right and wrong, but I, I'm going to decide that for myself. And we've been doing that for generations. Of course, this theme continues throughout the Old Testament. God wants to have a special relationship with Abraham, the nation of Israel, but they keep getting it wrong. Fast forward all the way then to Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and he is Emmanuel, God with us. We can't overstate that idea of God being with us. And he says, I'm here so that I can reconcile you to the Father, that I can redeem you, restore you, put you in right relationship again. And his, his life, 33 years, he's, he's preaching the gospel, the good news that he's come to pay the penalty for our sins. He's inviting us into a relationship with him. And later on in a few minutes, you're going to have that opportunity if you've never made that decision to say yes to that relationship with Jesus. And then right before Jesus leaves, after he's been crucified, after he's conquered death and sin once and for all, right before he goes and gets ascended into heaven, he tells his group of guys, he says, listen, guys, here's the deal. And you've heard this before, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. He says, I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Right? There's that multiplication thing again. I don't want you just to make converts. I want you to make disciples. What does that look like? Well, as soon as they say yes to me, to follow me, I want you to baptize them. And then I want you to teach them all the things that I've commanded you for the rest of those days that they live. Right? There's this ongoing nature to discipleship. It's not a one and done. It's not here's some things you need to know. Here's your, here's your ABC foundational things about Christianity. No, for as long as you're living, you're going to be learning about me and becoming more like me. That's what discipleship looks like. And so we're, we're going to explore an example from Jesus' own life about what it looks like, how he modeled this idea of making disciples that multiply. 
And I don't know about you, but I want to be a difference maker. I want to have significance in my life. Not, not so that I can pat myself on the back, but that God can get the glory and that his kingdom can grow. I want to be that type of disciple maker who makes disciples that multiply. And so if you've got your Bibles, you've got your iPhones, whatever you've got there, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. Mark 6 verse 7. We're going to take a look at this little example that Jesus gives to us. He models it. And there's some principles we can draw from this that are applicable to our own journey as disciples that are going to make disciples that multiply. So join me as we read this. Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he says this, And he called out to the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They preached the gospel. In verse 13, it says, they cast out many demons, anointed many with oil who were sick and they healed them. This is an incredible just example, right? And we know there's probably a lot more situations like this that we don't know about that aren't recorded in the Gospels. But in this story, we see really three, three main points of what it looks like to make disciples that multiply. The first thing Jesus shows us is that discipleship ministry, it begins with a call, an invitation. You've actually got to ask some people to enter into this relationship with you. I don't know if you're like me, but you probably don't have people knocking down your door saying, please, 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 would you disciple me? I mean, maybe, maybe you're, uh, maybe you've got those kind of relationships. But for most of us, we're going to have to actually pick up the phone, send a text message, maybe even have a socially distanced six foot cup of coffee with someone and say, hey, would you like to enter into this relationship? I'd like to pour into you. I'd like to share some things that I've learned. Discipleship ministry begins with a call. It starts with a call. Now, God first invites us into a relationship with him. That's where the call begins. Right? Throughout the scriptures, especially in the gospels, we see Jesus as he's inviting these guys to follow him. Right? He's walking along the shore and he sees Simon and Andrew and he, he calls them. He says, guys, follow me. They drop their nets, they run, they go follow after Jesus. They leave a life behind so they can pursue a new life with God. Just down the road they go and there's James and John with their father Zebedee and they're mending their nets and he says, why don't you guys follow me too? They jump out of the boat, they run after Jesus. You can imagine their father's like, guys, what's, what's happening here? Got some work to do. But they knew there was something significant, something greater that God was calling them to, and they followed after Jesus. Even Levi, the tax collector, same thing. He's the tax collector. He's got a, a great income coming in, and he's asked by Jesus to follow him. He walks out of that tax collector's booth, knowing that he can never return because they're going to find someone to, to take his place very quickly. And tax collector was not a popular uh, profession back in that day. In fact, he would have been hated by his fellow countrymen. It's not something you would put on your resume if you're looking for further work. So there's a significant sacrifice on Levi's part to follow after Jesus. But if you're going to begin a discipleship ministry for those that multiply, you're going to have to call. And you might be saying, well, that's great, but, but who? Who is it that I'm supposed to ask? And I think there's just three, three things to keep in mind when you're inviting someone into that call. First is Proximity. Who has God put around you? In my D group, we've been meeting for about a year, a little over a year now. And I remember when, when we were putting it together, I was thinking and praying through, who, who is it that I shouldn't make this invitation, this call to? And I started thinking about some of the guys in my life. One of the guys cuts my hair. I see him about once a month. So I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's probably a good person to invite in. We can have some good conversations. There's another guy who recently moved to our campus. I knew he had a heart for ministry. He really wanted to move into some marriage ministry stuff. And that's near and dear to my heart, my wife's heart. So I thought, man, this would be a good guy to be investing in. 
And then, and then the third guy, um, his actual fiance at the time, she was serving on our production team. And she said, hey, Pastor Jason, um, you know, my fiance, I think he could really use some discipleship. And I thought, well, I don't, it kind of feels like we're being set up on a date, but okay, I'll go with this. Let me give him a call, see how this is going to go. And man, I'm so thankful for that, uh, that opportunity that she said, listen, I think that this would be a good thing for him. And those three guys have been, we've been meeting every single, every single week, Wednesday mornings, used to meet in coffee shops and eventually that got shut down. So we're meeting virtually right now. But it starts with proximity. Who has God put around you? I mean, right now, look around, whoever's sitting next to you, right? There's people in your, in, your, in your sphere that maybe it's neighbors, maybe it's family members, maybe it's coworkers, right? But there's people in your life. God's put them there for a purpose beyond just to be there. Perhaps those are the ones that God's calling you to disciple. The second thing is you just got to think about potential, right? Ask, once you see those people, ask God, who, what, what's the potential? I don't want to just see what I see. I want to see, God, what you see in these people. I know that they're, they're, there's, there's the seeds of greatness, the image of God in each and every one of them. So God, what do you want to do in their life? And could I be a part of that? So you start with proximity, you look for potential, and then finally purpose. Every call has a purpose, right? And, you know, someone picks up the phone and calls you, there's a purpose behind that call. And so when you engage in that conversation, you're saying, listen, I'm calling you to something greater. I'm inviting you into a relationship. Just like the apostle Paul said, he said, listen, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He said that out of a place of humility. He said, listen, I'm, I'm doing my best to be like Jesus, to learn from Jesus, and I want to share some of those things with you. So if you want to be in discipleship ministry, for those that multiply, it starts with making that call. See who's around you. See that potential. Call them to a greater purpose, and you'll see God do some amazing things. The second thing uh, we, we can see from this scripture is that if we want to continue to expand, uh, that we have to mentor from where we are, not where we want to be. Mentor from where you are, not where you want to be. Uh, There's this great story. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, he's alive in the 19th century mostly. Uh, big oil tycoon at the time. Um, in fact, he, at one point they estimated he owned 90% of the oil and gas industry. 1% of the U.S. economy flowed through him and his businesses, which in today's dollars would be $2 trillion. Trillion with a T, right? That makes Jeff Bezos and his $200 billion look like he's got chump change, Right. And they asked John Rockefeller, they said, listen, you got all this money. Can you tell us, because most people want to know, how much is enough, right? How much money is really enough? And he said to them, just a little bit more. I mean, think about that. Like this guy has all the money you could ever hope for. And he says that just a little bit more, that's when you know you've got enough. And the problem is that a lot of us, we buy into that just a little bit more thinking. And that fuels our ministry procrastination or discipleship disobedience, as I like to call it. Right? It goes something like this. I'll invite someone to disciple them when I know just a little bit more Bible. Or when I go to church every, every Sunday, th then I can invite somebody. If, if my prayer life gets a little more consistent, then I can invite somebody in. Or, or here's my favorite. If I had just a little bit more time, then I would start that discipleship relationship. And yet God's looking at you and he's saying, I've, I've prepared you for this. You're ready. There's always going to be just a little bit more if that's the thinking we're buying into. So instead of allowing that to keep you from stepping into what God has for you, we just have to say, Lord, I'm going to trust that you've equipped me. You've given me enough that I can step into this moment right now. Mentoring is not about being some ideal image of yourself. It's about who are you today and what do you have to offer? And believe me, you've got a lot more to offer than you realize because that's how God sees you. And I think about Jesus. I mean, think about what he, he does to these guys. He says, listen, a couple things I want you to pay attention to uh, when you go out here, right? I want you to take a staff, no bread, 
Don't take money in your belts. Now, remember, this is Jesus, the, the, the living Jesus. He's not died. He's not been resurrected. He's not the ascended into heaven Jesus, but the living and breathing. He's just been uh, coming out of the wilderness when he's been tempted by the devil. And if you remember the, the temptation that he went through, Satan said to him first, he said, listen, turn those stones into bread. Interesting that the first thing he tells these guys is don't take any bread with you. Second temptation from the devil, he said, throw yourself off the top of the pinnacle of the temple and the angels of God will come and tend to you. God promises to take care of you. Notice what Jesus says to these guys. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about the sandals, all that kind of stuff, the money on your belts. God's going to take care of you. Just trust in his provision. In fact, when you go somewhere, ask to stay in a house and God through those, that family will take care of you. And of course, the final temptation from the devil, he said, listen, here's the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, bow down to me and I'll give them to you. Right? The devil is baiting Jesus into saying, I want the glory for myself. And I love what Jesus tells these guys. He says, listen, when you go out, some people are going to accept the message that you have, the gospel, the good news. Some people are going to reject you. Just know that. But here's the thing, guys. It's not about you. It's about God getting the glory. It's about you being faithful to this call to represent me when you go out there. And I love that, that, that Jesus is ministering. He's mentoring out of right where he is in that moment. He's saying, listen, guys, here's what's going to happen. I want to prepare you. I've been through some things and I'm just going to share some things with you, right? He's not the resurrected Jesus. He's not the one that's going to send the Holy Spirit to empower them. He's saying, listen, right now, here's where we're at. And here's what I want you to do. Making disciples that multiply requires you to mentor from where you are, not from where you'd like to be. And the third thing that we see from this, uh, this example from Jesus is that multiplication requires risk and release. Risk and release. Right? You've got to be at some point willing to take that risk. You've got to be willing to say, it's time for you to go. I'm going to let go. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to move you into a new season. You're going to step into a higher level of leadership. You see, if, you, if you're not willing to release, if you're not willing to let go, there's no chance of growth or life. Mentoring requires risk and release. I mean, think about it. If, um, a baby in a womb, right? A, a baby in a womb grows up to a certain point, And then at some point that baby has to come out. If that baby does not come out, then that baby and that mother will die. In order for there to be growth in life, there has to be a release at some point. You've got to be willing to let them go. I love that Jesus, he sends these guys out and he knows, listen, I know these guys are going to make some mistakes, right? They go out and they preach the good news. They're casting out demons. They're healing the sick. They come back and they're like, this is awesome. Jesus, you were right that even the demons bow down to us in your name. Like, this is incredible. But then not that long after that, pretty soon they're arguing over who's going to be second in command to Jesus and his kingdom. They're jockeying for position. Later on that, after that, Peter, the rock, right? He, he denies Jesus three times. Every other disciple runs away from Jesus when he's arrested. I mean, these guys fail over and over again. You know, Jesus invites Peter to walk on water and he does it, but then he looks down, he falls in the water, right? It's like, man, these guys can't seem to get it right. But yet Jesus knows that in order for them to be released, in order for them to grow into the world changes they would become, he had to take a risk and he had to release them. You know, in my, in my family right now, in my house, uh, we've got uh, three kids, uh, five, two, and one years old. Uh, really busy right now. We're just beginning the phase of, of our lives where our oldest is entering into transitional kindergarten. And our second, our two-year-old, little Brooklyn, she's right in the middle of doing some potty training. And for any of you parents out there, uh, you've been through this before, please, would you pray for me? Pray for my wife, Carissa, mostly Carissa. She's home most of the time uh, dealing with this. But one of the things we decided to do uh, for little Brooklyn is we got um, one of these little toilets, right? 
Uh, don't worry, I've cleaned it. It's cool. I, I wiped it down. Sanitary. And um, these things are really cute, aren't they? They even got the, like, the little sound effects. You, f you flush it. It makes like a flushing sound. And so we put this right next to the, the normal toilet, the big potty, and she's able to sit right down on it because she's got her tiny little legs, and so she sits down there and she goes. And I remember the first time um, she went, you know, she went pee, and we're like celebrating. We're throwing our hands in the air, right? There's confetti everywhere, like, you did it! Congratulations! Of course, then, you know, you have to lift this up because there's no, like, working plumbing in this thing. So I got to, like, pick this bowl up, and I got to walk over to the, the big toilet, and I got to dump it in there. Now, I wouldn't be a very responsible parent if the very first time she did it, she went pee or poo, I gave this to her and said, okay, honey, take care of that, right? Like, that, that wouldn't be a very good parent, right? That'd probably be releasing her a little bit too early. But at some point, if I love my daughter and I want her to thrive and grow, I'm going to have to hand her the potty and say, okay, sweetie, it's your turn. And she's going to, with her little stubby legs, and have to walk over to the big toilet and, and dump it in there. Now, when she does that, is there a chance that there's going to be a mess. Oh, you bet. <laughs> there's going to be some pee and some poo probably going to go places it's not going to go and I'm going to have to clean that up. But if I'm not willing to take that risk, what's going to happen in her life? Right? I mean, can you imagine like she's going to junior high and I'm following around with her little like toilet. Like, Here, honey, don't forget, you know, when you're done, I'll go ahead and dump it out for you. Like you can't do that. Or imagine like the first time like someone comes over, you know, and I got some suitors coming over and a guy wants to take my little girl out on a date, right? And I'm like, okay, honey, I'll be with you with this. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Maybe actually I should do that. That might be good anyway. But I can't do that, right? Like, I mean, at some point I got I to gotta take the risk and I got to release my little one. She's got to be willing to do something on her own. And I got to empower her to do that. I, I wonder though, how many of you in your ministry, you're, you're still, you're falling around after people you've invested in and you're like, okay, I got you. I got you. You know, wherever you go, I'll go ahead and take care of that for you. If you, if you love somebody, you, you got to let them go. You got you to take the risk and you got to release them. Now, here's what I'm not saying, and, and I don't want you to misconstrue this. Some of you are leading D groups and you're like, okay, I don't know if I'm ready yet. I'm not ready, sure if I'm ready to release. But releasing is not cutting off, right? When you, when you empower somebody and you say, you're, you're, you're ready, you've got what it takes, let's, let's do this, I'm here for you. You don't just say, I'll never talk to you again, right? I mean, you follow up and you, you meet them for coffee if they got some challenges or you shoot them a text, encourage them, make a phone call, right? You stay connected with them because they're going to continue to have questions and continue to grow. But at some point you do have to release them. It's so, so important if you want to grow, if they are going to grow, you've got to be willing to release. And so if you want to be a difference maker, if you want to make disciples that multiply, three things we want to focus on. First, it starts with a call. You've got to make that invitation. You've got to say, guys, I, I want to invite you into a relationship where we're going to be really intentional I'm going to share the things I know about Christ with you and uh, we're going to learn together and we're going to spend life together. And not only are we going to learn to be like Jesus, but we're going to become like him as well together. The second thing is we have to mentor from where we are, not where we want to be. If we think about that, that, that when I get there mentality, we'll never get there. And yet God throughout the entirety of, 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 of our, our lifetimes has been preparing us. In fact, he's been preparing you even before you were born, scripture says. He was forming you in the foundations of the earth were formed in your mother's womb. He knew every day of your life they were counted. I mean, every decision you've made that have led you to this point, that algebra test you cheated on, that girl you almost dated, right? That job you, you took and maybe you think now I shouldn't have taken it. All those situations, all those circumstances have led you to this point. And God says, I've equipped you. I've made you ready. You're ready to step into this moment. The minute you said yes to Jesus, you were qualified that you could start leading others to be like Jesus as well. And the third thing, if we want to be difference-making disciples, those that make disciples that multiply, is that in embracing multiplication requires risk and release. 
We've got to be willing to let people go. It's time. It's time for you to flap those little wings. And so here in a moment, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity uh, to, to make the decision, the most important decision of your life. Right, that call to discipleship starts with a call to someone before something. And that someone is Jesus. And he's calling you today. He's inviting you in to that relationship with him. Uh, but we're going to do something a little different um, just in the spirit of discipleship and, and multiplication. I'm, I've actually got my D group guys with me here right now. And I'm going to bring them up on stage. I want you to meet them. Uh, so you can see that I actually do know some guys and we're, we're doing this thing together. But I, I also want to model to you this idea of discipleship. So these guys, uh, we've been meeting, like I said, for about a year. This is Terhan, Jacob, and Ryan. Um, I love these guys. We've been through some, some crazy things together in our lives. We've, we've dealt with job loss. We've dealt with uh, marriage. We've dealt with uh, anger issues. We've dealt, and that's mostly just me, but no, I'm just kidding. Like we've, we've gone through all the phases of life together, and often over cups of coffee, encouraging each other. And uh, it's about time. These guys are about ready to, uh, to launch out on their own and start a new D group on their own. And that's part of that multiplication, that risk and release. Uh, but right now, what we're going to do is we're going to give you an opportunity. This is a time to respond to what God is speaking to you right now. I've been saying some stuff, but I know that God has been speaking to your heart. And he's inviting you. And if you've not made that decision yet to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, now is the time for that call. And we're going to give you that opportunity that you can respond to that call to say yes to him and to begin the most important relationship of your life. But I'm not going to do that because that's not what multiplication looks like. I'm going to ask one of these guys to do it. They're going to lead you in that call because that's what risk and release looks like. So, Terhan, go for it. If you believe that Jesus loves you and you believe that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins, I'm going to lead you through a simple prayer that's as easy as ABC. First A, we're going to admit that we're sinners. You see, the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says in Romans 6.23 that the penalty of sin is death. Next, we're gonna believe. We're gonna believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave for our sins. And last, we're gonna confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. So if you would like to invite Jesus into your heart and into your life, I'm going to ask you now to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I admit that the penalty of sin is death. I believe that Jesus is the Lord. I believe that he died on the cross and I believe that he rose from the grave. I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I ask you, God, to forgive my sin. I repent of all my sin. And I surrender, Lord, my life to you. All this I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, 
If you prayed that prayer and you've invited Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to be the first to congratulate you and also welcome you to the family. We also want to invite you to text the word SAVED to 52525. That way we can connect with you and we can continue to pray for you as you begin this new life with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now again, congratulations, and I'll see you in heaven. Amen. That was good. Thank you, Trahan. Congratulations to all of you who prayed that prayer. Uh, we want to say uh, we love you, and we're so thankful for being with us now. And many of you uh, have said yes to Jesus for the first time, but many of you, you're realizing that this call in your life is to start a D group, to start an R group. Uh, it's, it's, it's time to stop giving into excuses, that little bit more thinking. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you to text the word groups to 52525. We'll give you all the resources you need. It's a, it's, it's a simple process uh, to getting started. Uh, start thinking about who it is that God's inviting you. I know some of you already know those people you need to make that call to, to invite them into becoming part of this discipleship journey so that you can be a difference maker. We love you, church. God bless you. We'll see you next week.